but realizing, you know what? God's got my back. He knows what's best for me. He's going to ultimately satisfy me, protect me. I can trust him rather than going for these things that pop up that promise instant gratification. This is the Redeeming Productivity Show, where we talk about technology, techniques, and theology in the light of Scripture to help Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. I'm your host, Reagan Rose. Today on the show, I'm joined by Drew Dick. Drew is an acquisitions editor at Moody Publishers, a contributing editor at Christianity Today's ctpastors.com, and he's the author of several books, including Generation X Christian, Yawning at Tigers, and his latest, Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Oh, thanks for having me. We've, uh, we're Twitter buds, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, <laughs> we follow each other on there. And so now this is another step where we're actually talking to each other. Someday, hopefully, we'll meet face-to-face. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like Twitter is, uh, that's, the, um, that's a bond closer than blood. So I don't know that yeah, face-to-face right. is even better. That's true. That's <laughs> a good point. Twitter is very important, very intimate, mm-hmm. uh, better, better, much better than real life. Yes. And everything said on there is important. Definitely. Oh, of course. Yes. <laughs> Especially my opinions. Yeah. Of course. Um, so, Drew, the reason I have you on the podcast is because you wrote a book on self-control. And yeah, obviously, I assume that that means that you've never struggled with it and you're just coming down from the mountain to kind of share with us about that. Yeah, you got it right. Exactly. Perfect discipline, uh, flawless self-control. Um, of course, I'm in phenomenal shape. No, I wish that was the case. I, <laughs> sadly, sadly, I was drawn to the topic uh, for just the opposite reason because I realized um, that I was fundamentally weak in this area. And it's not that I was uh, doing anything especially sinister, but just especially when it came to like spiritual disciplines, like reading my Bible, praying, I just realized, man, I want to do them. I always plan on it. I have the best of intentions, and yet I just don't seem able to follow through. Same with exercise, eating, all that kind of stuff. So that's what drew me to the topic originally was just actually my own selfish interest because I was like, man, I need to grow in this area. Um, Started reading about it. It wasn't even actually initially. I'd I'd read a few books uh, before I even decided hey, maybe there's a book here. I was just kind of researching for myself, honestly. Um, so I say that you know, books are, are written by people who have either mastered a topic or desperately need to. And I definitely <laughs> fall into the latter camp when it comes to this one. I totally get that. You know, I, I started this blog and now this podcast several years ago and uh, when I first did the, the blog. And I'm always like embarrassed because I, I do these episodes or I, do, I write an article and then I have to go to work. <laughs> you know, oh, right. <laughs> and, I, and I have to fail at the things that I'm giving people advice on how to do. And it's the same thing for me is I, I'm interested in the topic of how to be more productive, how to steward my life better for Christ, because I know that I'm not doing a good job at it. You know, not because you're claiming to be a, a guru, but because I, I need to get better and I got to learn. So true. And it's humbling, but I think it's good. I think those are the best topics to tackle where you have a vested interest in it and you realize you need to grow. Um, and then the approach becomes, Hey, listen, I, I haven't arrived, but hopefully we can kind of 
explore this together and both come away stronger. Totally. So I love that. Um, Drew, in, in your book, you, you talk about um, a lot of stuff. I, I loved the book, by the way. It's, Thank it is you. excellent. And it was really uh, an easy read and oh, enjoyable good. and educational. I had a lot, I took a lot away from it. There's one thing I, I really liked. You talked about how people are really good at making plans, but terrible at following through. And, and, and one of the, in one line, you said, anyone can sign up to run a marathon, but propelling your body over 26.2 miles of concrete is where things get rough. And I, I like that. You know, I always am making big plans and then nothing comes of it. You know, you get yourself amped up, uh, but it doesn't happen. But why is it you think that we, we can't sustain that energy and excitement that we have like when we're making those big plans? Why, why can't we sustain that through actually executing on those plans? Yeah, great question. I think that's a, a pressing one for most of us. Um, although, you know, I, I wrote that, yeah, anyone can sign up to run a marathon, although I never have. So apparently not everyone can. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's true for most people, though. You get inspired, you get excited, you make a big goal or a plan. And that's the easy part, right? That's fun because then you're thinking about the results and what you're going to get from this. Uh, and you haven't really done any work other than a little dreaming and scheming. Mm -hmm. um, and then when it comes to the execution, that's where things get tough. And I really saw this in my own life around New Year's resolutions because I love New Year's resolutions. And you know, because I talk about this in the book, but it's like every, every year, every December, I, I get all excited, make all these big plans. And then um, you know how it goes because it, it, it ends the same way for most people. A few weeks into the new year, uh, they're all... Uh, totally gone, right? And you've, you've messed up most of them. Um, and I think one of the big problems, one of the big reasons this happens is because you try to do too much. I know that's the case for me. So I'd make like five or six resolutions and they wouldn't be like small things like, oh, I want to pick up my socks off the floor. They'd be like big things. I want to exercise an hour every day or, you know, read scripture for a half an hour or whatever it is. And then the problem is, and this is a, was a big aha moment for me is just reading the literature on willpower. So basically really quick, willpower is a finite resource. Researchers discovered this about 20, 20 years ago in a landmark study that showed that people, you know, if, if they exert themselves and then try to do another task right after, they will not last as long because their willpower is depleted. And it sounds kind of obvious, right? It's like, oh yeah, of course, you can't hold out forever. You can't do something difficult indefinitely. Uh, but this was actually proof um, that that's how we work. And so what happens when it comes to, say, New Year's resolutions or making a lot of big goals, we set all of these big goals simultaneously. You come into the new year with this limited pool of willpower, and then it just gets depleted immediately almost, right? And so the far wiser approach would be to just set maybe one goal and make it a very incremental goal, not even a big one. And then you, you, you stick with that until it can kind of get ingrained in your life and become a habit. And then you move on to making the next goal rather than trying to do everything at once. And I realize that's counterintuitive because when we're excited to change, you don't want to make small plans. You want to make big ones and you want to make lots of them. <laughs> but that ironically, uh, and it's a very cruel irony, will actually ensure that you fail. Now I'm familiar with that. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been there, I think. <laughs> Your book is, you know, it's about self-control from the Bible and brain science. So let's talk about the Bible. Obviously, everybody, you know, whether they're Christian or not, is interested in self-control if they're wanting to do something with their life. But specifically for the Christian, what is the place of self-control 
in, in the believer's life? Why should we, people believing Jesus Christ, be particularly concerned about the issue of self-control? Yeah, I think it's, it's essential, really. Of course, I'm going to say that because I wrote a book on it. But I, <laughs> I, think, I think just from reading scripture, we see how important it is. And I think it's worth saying, too, that not everyone is into this topic, right? There are a lot of people, I think, in our broader culture, it's gotten a bad rap. If you talk about self-control, people are like, that sounds weird and repressive and Victorian. You know, it's like, don't, right. don't tell me to repress anything. I just need to express myself and liberate my, the deepest desires of my heart. Self-control sounds stifling and boring to them. So I think, you know, if you are a person for whom this topic is important and you realize you need to grow in this area, you're already ahead of a lot of people because a lot of people don't even want to think about that. They don't want to put in the hard work that it takes to grow in this area. So I think it's important to realize how important it is. And of course, in scripture, it's inescapable. It's one of the fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5, right? Uh, right there with love, joy, peace, and all the other good stuff. So it's not something as a Christian anyway, that you can kind of go, ah, you know, I'm into, you know, some virtues, but self-control, uh, that's not for me. I mean, <laughs> I'm more of a hedonism guy, you know, <laughs> right. I'm more of a throwing off restraint and sinning type person. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, but that's not really a, a biblical option, I would argue. Um, and I think it's so important, right? Because it, it influences so much of your life from the spiritual to just the kind of mundane things like, um, you know, eating the right amount and eating healthily, uh, exercising, being productive at work. You know, these are all, they're not sin issues necessarily, but they're really important. And then as a Christian, this is what's sobering to me. If you don't have self-control, you know, Proverbs describes um, someone who lacks self-control as a city without walls. Hmm. Right? And in the ancient world, you had walls to protect yourself from an invasion. So the Bible's saying, listen, if you don't have this virtue, you are very vulnerable. Your life could come crashing down at any moment. And we all know stories of that happening. And often the, the problem is lack of self-control. So me as a, a follower of Jesus, that is sobering because I realize that if I don't grow in this area, if I don't have self-control, um, my life can come crashing down. It can hurt me. It can hurt the people I love. And ultimately, it can actually turn people away from Jesus because they look at me and my actions and go, ah, that, that whole Christian thing isn't for me. So yeah, very, very important, especially for those of us who are following Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah, I think when I was reading your book, probably one of the biggest uh, things that hit home for me personally was you had a, a quote from your brother when he asked you, are you more spiritual today than you were 20 years ago? And I felt that <laughs> because yeah, right. I remember when, when I was in seminary, I was in my second year, I think, and I was talking to my, my buddy, Matt, who went through school with me, and I was telling him, I think I was a better Christian before I came to school. <laughs> like, oh, you know, I should, right. I should be growing and getting better, but it was like not only had I not improved, it felt like I was going the other way. How can cultivating self-control help us to get off of that treadmill of sanctification that a lot of us feel like we're on. Hmm. Yeah, no, it, it is such a sobering question because, um, well, and it's, it's a little threatening and here's the, I, I'll say this too. We're not always the best judge of how we've been growing because sometimes, you know, you feel like you're going backwards. You might be going forwards, especially if you're in a season of suffering or dryness, God might be using that in a way. Um, but at the same time, I do think that, you know, the, the pattern of the Christian life should be to look a little more like Jesus every year, right? Mm, yeah. To get a little less selfish, a little, uh, yeah, a little more 
other-centered and patient and kind and exhibit those fruit of the Spirit. Um, so I think it is a good question. And I, uh, my colleague, Jeremy uh, Slager, also asked me a question that kind of woke me up too. And it was kind of the opposite of the one my brother said. He said, imagine yourself 10 years into the future and imagine that you have the same bad habits, the same besetting sins. You haven't made any progress at all. And I think that's an equally sobering question yeah. because you go, man, you always kind of assume, at least I do, that you're going to make some progress going forward. But the truth is, if you're not intentional about changing, um, if you don't have a plan to change, often you won't. And that is just a horrifying thought to me to think that, you know, 10 years from now, uh, I may be no different. Or like you said, I may even move in reverse. So yeah, I, I think, you know, the good news though about this, this topic um, is that as you exercise a little bit of discipline and grow even modestly in this area, things get easier as you go. Um, and like you said, I think it can get you off that treadmill because you're not just relying upon your willpower anymore. Like I said, you've got this finite, limited pool of willpower. And the key is to invest it in forming new habits that can then sort of carry you through life. Because, you know, it's it, when you are living a righteous life, a holy life, it's not just a matter of out-battling out temptation at every turn. You can't do that. It's too exhausting. So, but once you have those patterns built into your life, like I think of the, the, the kind of older sage saint type figures that I've known or I've had the opportunity of interviewing too, just in my job. And you just get this feeling that for a lot of them, it's not that they're just going, okay, today I got to commune with God. Today I've got to get up and do this. It's just as easy as breathing for them. Mm -hmm. They've kind of reached this stage where it's just so ingrained in their life. And, and I don't think it's that that takes away either from the, the kind of merits of living a life like that, that you're maybe not choosing it. You're just defaulting to these good habits. We're all familiar with bad habits. And sometimes when you say the word habits, that's what people think. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, there are righteous or healthy habits that we can work into our lives so it's not a constant struggle. So that's the good news about this topic, I think. A lot of people think, oh man, okay, if I'm going to be better at self-control, I've just got to, you know, white knuckle it, pull myself up by my bootstraps and get there. But the truth is, it gets easier as you go. And of course, as you do exercise self-control, um, I think that God comes alongside you. He empowers you by his spirit to live a righteous life. And that's exciting. Now, now we're talking about self-control, but what exactly is it? Like, how do you, how do you define self-control? And, and let me ask a double-barreled question. And how, how is that different from, say, what like a secular book might teach on the topic? Right. Yeah. So basically, there are various definitions of self-control, um, especially when you get into the psychology and, and sociology literature on this topic. People talk about self-regulation or People say it's the, the ability to delay gratification, which is a huge component of it. Uh, but basically, my, my definition is pretty simple. It's just the ability to do the right thing, even when you don't feel like doing it. So that, that includes things, you know, okay, I should go out and exercise, you know, or resisting things that you shouldn't do. Um, so to put it in the theological terms, it's avoiding sins of commission and omission, right? Because sometimes just sitting there passively is the biggest sin of all. Say you see someone in trouble and you go, no, I'm not going to help them. I'm just going to 
you know, gone my way. Uh, of course, that's a huge, huge uh, failure of self-control in my view. So that kind of covers it both, um, both sides of it, uh, the ability to do the right thing, even when you don't feel like doing it. Now, when it comes to self-control from a Christian perspective, I think it's hugely important because I read a lot of books on the topic, secular titles on, on discipline, willpower, self-control, and, and a lot of them were really helpful. But a lot of them also left me kind of going, oh, something sits wrong with these, <laughs> the treatment uh, of this topic. And I think what it was was basically some of them were saying, hey, listen, develop personal discipline and then use it for whatever purpose you want. Hmm, so yeah. if you want to become a billionaire or you just want to get like really ripped and so people look at you and think you're amazing, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was using self-control for selfish purposes. But of course, from a biblical perspective, that's kind of nonsense because, you know, the first thing you need to do is to resist uh, pride, selfishness, <laughs> you know. So if you're not doing that, then you're actually failing at self-control. And I think just from a biblical perspective, self-control has to serve a larger purpose than just your own selfish interests. So I, I would say, I, I put the pyramid like this, self-control has to be in service of ultimately loving and glorifying God. And then it, it is crucial to help you to love others. So, you know, to fulfill the, the great commandments that Jesus talked about. Um, and if, if you're not using it for that, well, okay, but it's, I don't think you can call that self-control, at least from a Christian perspective. And I think the, the beautiful thing about this, this virtue, though, is that it enables you to do that. It actually enables you to, to escape the tyranny of self and to love others. Because any time, you know, to, to be patient, to be kind, to be, you know, any of those fruit of the Spirit, or just the most basic um, act of laying your own interests aside, putting someone else first demands self-control. And so that's the exciting thing to me is it can make you a more selfless giving person. Um, if you think of it properly from a biblical perspective in relation to God and others. That's well said. So we, we know what self-control is. We know that we need it. All right. So how do we, how do we get it? How how do we actually cultivate self-control? I know you talked about this some in the book too. Like uh, it seems like there's certain people out there that you just look at them and, and even from, you know, childhood, I know people I grew up with in school that just from the start, they were just so disciplined and so in control, you know, and, and you see that go through their lives. Or some people have it and some people don't. Can you actually get more of the stuff? Yeah, you, the good news is you can definitely grow in this area, um, or else I probably wouldn't have written a book about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, but you're right. You're kind of a major downer. <laughs> right. Like, ah, the bad news is you don't find this out until the end. Yeah, you can't grow. <laughs> you can't change. Um, <laughs> but you're right, and that is the discouraging thing to me. I talk about this in the book early on, witnessing in the people that I knew the best, including my own brother, who was just like this paragon of self-control from a young age. Uh, like he, he wouldn't eat sugar for like years and he prayed every morning and he was just this like phenomenal uh, kid. And I go, well, obviously he didn't have a lot of years to develop self-control. He just seemed to kind of come out with it. Um, and, and I talked to um, one sociologist about this, Brad Wright, and, and he affirmed, he goes, yeah, absolutely. Some people just have higher levels naturally 
of self-control and discipline. Um, and some of us don't. And he likened it to, an, to athletes. Some people are just naturally fast and muscular and strong. But he said, that's not an excuse for the rest of us not to go and work out, right? Because <laughs> we can all get more athletic and stronger and healthier. And it's the same thing with this. The good thing, this is the metaphor I heard over and over again, that self-control is like a muscle. The more you work it, the stronger it becomes. So as you do things that are uncomfortable or unfamiliar, you actually gain more self-control. And it can even be silly things like there was a study showing that if you use your non-dominant hand uh, for brushing your teeth or you know just daily tasks, you actually grow in your self-control in other areas of your life. Because uh, again, you're, you're kind of working that muscle. So yeah, you, you definitely can grow. Um, not that it's easy, uh, at least at first, because anytime you're overcoming the inertia of bad habits and patterns that you've probably been building into your life unintentionally for years, there's going to be a little bit of, of grit and willpower required. But like I said earlier, the good news is that it gets easier as you go and you can grow in this area. That is good news. Yeah, I, I've noticed that what you were saying about like how if you if you're exercising willpower and and um, discipline in one area, you start to see it affect others too. You know, I've I've noticed in my life when I'm uh, you know if I'm exercising regularly, like other stuff is just happening. You know, I'm I'm in yes. the Word daily. I'm doing all those other things, and they they kind of just tra habits kind of travel in packs like that. Where if I'm being disciplined in one area, the other ones follow, but it seems like, I mean, I know it's not an all or nothing thing, but it's hard to get, uh, it's hard to get the uh, engine on that train going and getting the other ones to fall behind. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's such an important point. Okay. So researchers also talk, they talk about habits. They talk about keystone habits, which are these habits that not only uh, benefit you in the one area, but they actually exert a positive influence across the spectrum of your life. And so you just named one exercise is a well-known keystone habit because when you exercise, you're more likely to be productive in other areas. You're more likely to eat better, uh, probably because you're thinking, well, I burned these calories. I don't want to get them back. Um, uh, another one is like family dinners. They've shown that people that eat together every evening, their kids get better grades. Their marriages are healthier. You know, um, And I, I'd argue the same is true of prayer. They, they, they've shown that prayer and meditation, church attendance, also have this kind of positive impact. And not every habit is like this, even good habits. So it's important if you're thinking about, okay, what new habit do I want to initiate in my life? Mm -hmm. Choose a keystone habit, one that is just going to kind of lift up your entire life. That's huge. Yeah, that is huge. That's, that's great advice. Another thing in the book, you talked about um, temptation, you know, which, you know, is the thing that kind of stops us from being self-controlled. We give into temptation, whether that's to sin or whether it's to, to something that is just less than ideal. Um, and you, you give the example of the temptation of Christ um, by Satan in the wilderness. And you pointed out that even though his temptation was unique, there were some principles there. And Satan uh, tempts Christians in similar ways. With, and you talked about these shortcuts. What are, how can an understanding of the nature of temptation, how it works. How can that help Christians to grow in self-control? Well, yeah, I do. And I do think there's a spiritual component to this. It's not just, of course, you know, we can sin all by ourselves, right? You got to, <laughs> we know we have a, a flesh or fallen nature. And so like James says, each person is uh, sins when by his own evil 
desires, he is dragged away and enticed. But at the same time, I, I don't think the enemy is above kind of capitalizing on our sinful proclivities. And I thought it was just so fascinating when I was researching this topic, reading that passage about Jesus being tempted uh, by Satan in the wilderness, because everything that Satan offered Jesus, you know, he offered him, uh, hey, do a miracle, make these, these uh, stones into bread and feed yourself. Well, Jesus is going to get fed by the angels in just a few verses already. Mm-hmm. This bow down before me and all the kingdoms of the world will be yours. We know that that was Jesus's rightful inheritance anyway. But I think the temptation was real. And the, it was real because what Satan was offering him was to get it all right now. He didn't have to wait. He didn't have to go through the cross. He didn't have to go through the, his, his three years of earthly ministry to get those things. Satan was offering them to him immediately. And I think it's the same with us. Often, a lot of uh, temptations in our lives are, are essentially shortcuts. Maybe it's not even bad things, you know? So you kind of go, well, if I compromise here and do something a little shady, maybe I can provide for myself more quickly. Um, of course, you know, God's promised to provide for your needs, but you're thinking, I'll just take the shortcut and do it myself. Or, you know, God has, has promised us, he says there are pleasures forever uh, more at his right hand. Uh, but we think, you know what, if I just take this shortcut, find the pleasure on my own and gratify this impulse. So it, it really does come down not just to the kind of the steely, steely resolve of going, okay, I'm going to say no to these temptations, but realizing, you know what, God's got my back. He knows what's best for me. He's going to ultimately satisfy me, protect me, watch out for me. I can trust him rather than going for these things that pop up that promise instant gratification. And I think that's what, that's what Jesus did. Of course, it's complicated because he was also God in the flesh, <laughs> which gives him a very unique advantage. Uh, but at the same time, I think the pattern that he showed there is instructive for us as well. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love you know, thinking about it in, in terms of th- there's a reason that you're choosing to be self-controlled in that moment. There's a reason you're choosing not to give in. And, and in the examples you're giving, the reason is because I, I trust that God's way is best. I trust that he's the one who will provide for me in time as he, he sees fit. And I trust that if I obey him and I don't take the shortcut, that I'm not going to be shortchanged. I'm not ultimately going to be the loser in this thing. It's really the, the wisest course is to kind of stay yes. my hand and wait. That's exactly right. That's really well said. I like that. Um, and it does, it, at the root of it is trust, right? Do you trust God? Do you trust in his promises that he is going to provide for you? Because often when that's shaky, then you, you, you grasp and try to get it yourself. And often when you do that, you do it in ways that are sinful. So yeah, that's, that's a huge sort of theological component of this topic is trusting God. Um, Drew, you say uh, that these secrets to self-control come from the Bible and brain science. That's, well, that's the subheading of the book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how, how do those two sources complement one another? What I'm getting at, in other words, is if a believer borrows insights from, from brain science in pursuit of self-control, is that, is that somehow a denial of the sufficiency of Scripture? Or, or how do we take those, those things from the world and, and integrate them with what we know from the, from the scriptures. Yeah, this was a concern I had actually going in because it's like, well, are we saying that we have to kind of become amateur brain scientists in order to live the Christian life, you know, especially? <laughs> um, and no, I don't think so. I don't want to overstate the case because Christians for, you know, hundreds of years uh, didn't have access to 
understanding the inner workings of the brain and yet they could live the Christian life. Um, but I, I just find it interesting, A, because like you put it, there is incredible complementarity between what we're finding out about our human nature, about our, our, um, the way our brains work, even what I was saying earlier about willpower, that we find out it's this finite depletable resource and kind of we get weaker as we go. As a Christian, I look at that and I go, well, yeah, I could have told you that. You know, the Bible describes us as these limited fallen creatures. Uh, I think that's why it tells us to flee temptation rather than stand and fight it uh, because God knows that we're weak. Um, and so I was just fascinated to read all of these studies. And so often I go, wow, this just aligns so perfectly with what scripture teaches us about how we tick. Um, and then other things I thought were just helpful, you know, to understand what's going on in the brain when something becomes a habit, right? And it, and it kind of, in that case, it, it starts, you know, if you're doing something that's brand new or difficult, uh, you're using your prefrontal cortex. Um, but as it becomes a pattern, as it becomes familiar, it's actually relegated to a different part of the brain. And then it frees up room in your prefrontal cortex to tackle new tasks. And it's just interesting to think about that um, as you think about habits and changing. Um, but yeah, like I said, I don't want to overstate the case. I thought a lot of this was interesting. Um, and then there's just very practical stuff when it comes to habits, for instance, that the number that gets tossed around a lot is like 30 days for a habit to cement mm -hmm. into place, but it's more for more complex tasks. It's more like 66 days, but for me, it's just, it's helpful to know, okay, I'm doing something new. This is difficult. I don't feel like I can stick it out. But if I can just last through that kind of two-month window, mm -hmm. it's going to get a lot easier on the other side. So that's really helpful, um, I think, uh, especially when you're tackling something that's particularly difficult. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah, that's one of the things I that fascinates me about the subject of you know productivity in general. That's what I try to do on the blog and this podcast. Is some of it is looking at okay. What what are some of the things that people out there are saying about productivity, and where do I where do I draw the line of okay, this is helpful advice, but now they've crossed the line into interpreting, and they're saying things that that the scripture speaks to, um, and and they're they're giving the wrong answer, you know? And, right. And yeah. I think of it kind of that it's somewhat maybe analogous to the the world of, of science you know that that there's observable science and and you know the an astronomer might be able to tell you about the stars and the constellations and how it works and and then he might you know take a hard left turn and start to interpret that and tell you what it means about who we are and, and our purpose of life but it doesn't mean i i need to discount the the observations that he's seen those are legitimate the, those things are happening i just keep going straight ahead and say yeah, that gives me more ample reason to glorify God. You know, I have a, mm -hmm. I have an interpretive grid for those things, which are are different from 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 your interpretive grid, but it doesn't change the fact of the observation that 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 the scientist is making. And, and maybe in similar way to the the studies on brain science or even these, um, you know, these these experiments they do with a large group of people. That there there are there's the factual aspect of it. These things that happened. You know, it took sixty six days, like you're saying, whatever for you know, on average for this group of people to, to form this new habit. And, and that's true. And, but, you know, if you keep reading the study, they might be telling you things that, um, that don't flow from scripture and are contrary to it. Yes, you're right. Especially when they turn that corner from description to prescription, mm -hmm. you know, to go, okay, uh, because of this, then you should do X. And often they're 
maybe incorporating their own biases or worldview. Uh, I think it's really important what you said, and that is to have that interpretive grid that, and, and hopefully it's one formed by scripture in your walk with Christ uh, so that you can, you can eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? Because you, <laughs> um, you, you have to be discerning in this process. But I mean, the larger point, I figure, you know, God made our brains. He made us. He knows our psychology. And as we discover more of that, I think it's just fascinating uh, for starters and then also very helpful if you're discerning, like you said. Hey, Drew, listen, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. This has been a lot of fun and very, very helpful and edifying for me. And I'm sure for other people listening as well, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. And even though, yes, like you said, Twitter is the most important way to connect with people. Uh, hopefully at some point we'll be able to get together and grab a coffee and meet face to face. That'd be great. I would love that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> You can learn more about uh, Drew at his website, drewdick.com, and that's D-Y-C-K. Drew's book, Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. It's available now. You should definitely buy it. Uh, Drew and, and Jeremy, who we mentioned in the show, they have an excellent podcast uh, you should check out. I heartily recommend it. It's called uh, Your Future Self Will Thank You. Very clever great. title. Mm-hmm. Very <laughs> clever title, yes. And you can get that wherever you get it.